Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Go with me to the book of Psalms 101. I'm going to talk for just a few moments this morning in verse uh, Psalms 101. I'll, I'll begin with verse 2. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my own house with a perfect heart. The Living Bible says of that phrase, I will walk in my own house. Oh, that you would help me, especially in my own house. Especially in my own house. I want to talk on the subject today, help, I'm a parent. Help, I'm a parent. Turn to somebody and say, help. Say it with a little exclamation point. Help, I am a parent. I need some help. Well, I'm going to try to help you today. Mark Twain said that when I was 16 years of age, my father was so ignorant I could barely stand to be around him. But five years later, when I was 21, I was amazed how much that old man had learned in five short years. One woman said to her husband, when a counselor asked, why did you marry him? Because they were having tremendous problems and it was all about raising their children. And, and the counselor said, why did you marry this man? All you do is talk about what wrong, what's wrong with him. Why did you marry him? She said, well, when I married him, I thought he was well off. And a man spoke up and said, I was. Amen. All right. So let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward. I'm speaking today on help I'm a parent, and I'm not speaking as a speaker. I'm speaking as a learner. Because parenting is by far the most difficult job that I have ever taken on. The man who wrote these words in the book of Psalms on the outward looked like a tremendous success. He was a best-selling author. He penned the eternal words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He was a legendary general on the field of battle. They still study some of his war secrets at West Point to this day. He was the most popular potentate to ever sit on an Israeli throne, the king of Israel. David succeeded in his vocation, but tragically, he failed miserably with his family. His half his, his son raped his half-sister. The other son heard about it and killed and murdered that brother. He had another son named Absalom who led a revolution against his own father. And there was a civil war because a father and a son were fighting one another. The son was killed. And we're given the words of David at the gravesite as he's weeping and he's crying. And he says, would that... It was I and not you, my son, my son, Absalom, Absalom. And he's weeping and he's crying. The word of the Lord that I want to give you today is simply this. It's possible to succeed in your vocation in life and fail in your home and with your family. And if you don't learn the secrets of what the word of God teaches about parenting, you will fail because all of culture is doing everything it can whether it realizes it or not, to destroy and decimate the family. 
If you would have seen Eli in his long flowing robe as the high priest of Israel, if you would have seen him as he worshipped in the tabernacle and led in worship, you would have thought he was the epitome of success. If you would have seen Samuel pouring oil on David and anointed him king of Israel and prophesying, you would have said if ever there was someone who has it together, it's that man right there. If you would have seen Aaron, the brother of Moses, the first high priest in Israel, as he carried on worship in the tabernacle, you would have thought that man must have an amazing home life. And if you would have seen David, you would have thought the same thing. But the one thing that all four of them had in common is they succeeded in their vocation, but they failed in their home life and in their family life, and they lost their children. There's a story that's told of a building contractor who worked for his employer for 30 plus years. He worked for a wealthy businessman who provided the money and the material and he would build beautiful homes for this man. And after 30 years of laboring, one day the man called him, the wealthy uh, financier, and he said, I want to build a final home. He said, I'm about to retire and I want to build this final home, and I'm going to give you all of the money to do it, all the materials to do it. This will be you and I, our last partnership. I provided the money. You built the home. And I'm going to go out of the country. I'll be back with my wife in a few, in a few months, and I want to then see the home. And so the man left and went out of the country, and the building contractor who had served this man and worked for him and labored for him faithfully got to thinking, you know, I've made him millions and I've only made thousands and I'm about to retire myself and I don't have enough in my account. So, you know, he'll never know the difference to the untrained eye. A house looks like a house. So I'm going to cut corners and I'm going to shave some things off. I'm going to leave less insulation in the house and keep the money and put it in my account. I'm going to cut back on electricity things and I'm going to get the cheaper roof and I'm going to do everything that I can do to cut costs. I'm going to build this house as cheap as I can build it. He'll never know the difference to the untrained eye. It all looks the same. And sure enough, he built it and was able to put $50,000 in his savings account and his employer and his boss never knew anything about it. The, the boss came home, the financier, the wealthy man, and he said, I want to meet you at the property. Take me through the house. He took him through the house, and they walked through the roomy place. And it was a million-dollar mansion. It was beautiful, and it was amazing. And as they walked through and finished, he turned to him, and he said, How long have you been working for me, John? And he said, Sir, I've been working for you 30 years. We've built many homes together. And he said, you know, I've never told you how much I appreciate you and your great work and the excellence that you build these homes. And so you didn't know it when you were building it. But I just want you to know that I appreciate you so much that I decided while I was out of the country that I would give you this home that you built as my personal gift to you. And always remember this, John. The home that you built is the home you will live in for the rest of your life. And a few days later, after he and his wife moved in, they're laying in bed that night, and they hear the water leaking through the cheap 
roof that he put in. They hear the water flowing into the basement. They hear and they're freezing in the winter and burning up in the summer because the insulation isn't there. And all that he can hear, John can hear going through his head is the words of that boss when he said, Remember, John, the house that you built is the house that you'll live in for the rest of your life. I've come to remind you of that today. That if you cut corners, if you shave, if you cheat, if you lie to your children and your family, the house that you build is the house that you're going to live in. So I've come today to give you three kinds of building material that will build the kind of home and the kind of family. Sharice and I have been married 28 years. We've raised five children and one have one grandchild and one on the way. And I, again, I'm not a teacher, I'm a learner. I still am learning every day of my life, but I know the three building materials I'm about to give you will work for anybody in any home, in any family. And all you got to do is get it in my book next week when it is written. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to give it to you right now. I'm going to give it to you right now. Free, free of charge free of charge. I just wanted to make sure I had you. You looked a little partly cloudy, but I believe you're with me. You're with me. Turn to somebody and say, the home that you're building is the home you're going to live in. So how do we build a happy home, a successful home? The three building materials, the three things that every parent owes their children. And the first word is love. The first word that you build with, the first building material is love. You know how you spell love? T-I-M-E. Time. It's not the length of time, it's the strength of time. It's not the quantity of time, it's the quality of time that our children really want. Because I know a lot of families who are together, but they're not really together. Even when they are together, they're not together. But there's something about our time that we give completely to our children and to our loved ones. One of the greatest things you can give a loved one is your attention. Undivided attention is one of the greatest gifts you can give. A lot of families are together, but they're not together. Their, their family is a battle zone of criticism. There's a lack of consideration, bitterness, degrading insults. But quality time builds character in kids. And if you're not there, if you're not in their life, a vacuum is created in their soul. And out of that comes the grassroots of rejection. Now listen to me. Rejection breeds inferiority. And inferiority breeds insecurity. And when they get insecure, then they become restless. And if you're not careful and you don't give them love, they'll find love somewhere outside the family. They'll find it in the back seat of a car. They'll find it in a gang. They'll find it running with the wrong people. They'll find it anywhere they can, in a bar, in a club. They'll find it in an illicit relationship. Are you convincing your kids by your words, by your actions, by your demonstrated acts, that you really, really love them. If they make a mistake, do they have to run and lie? Or can they come, confess, and be forgiven? Do, do, do you have 
words that build your children up? Or if they make a mistake, do you call them dumb and stupid? Do you ever tell them that you love them? Do you ever take your daughters out on dates? Do you ever tell your son that you love him? These are powerful building tools that build a healthy, happy family. Do you ever kiss your children? I don't care how old they are. They're never too old for me to kiss and hug and love. You know what a kiss is? According to the dictionary, a kiss is an anatomical juxtaposition of two arabiculous iris muscles in a state of contraction. Oh, shut up and just kiss them and love them and touch them and hug them and let them know. I don't care how macho you are, sir. Love your children. Tell them you love them and kiss them and tell them how much they mean to you. If you don't feel that vacuum, somebody else will. Every time. Just kiss them and tell them they're special. If they don't, if you don't, they'll find love in all the wrong places, in all the wrong faces. They seek approval. They seek acceptance. Someone to say you're okay. Someone to say you're beautiful. Someone to say I love you. Someone to say you're special. Where do kids learn how to build a home? In home economics class? Do they still have that in school, by the way? Home economics. Does anybody remember the home economics class? Yeah, we used to learn how to cook cookies and make stuff. I used to love that class. I'd get something to eat every day. If I didn't get it anywhere else, I'd get it at home economics. Well, where, where, do, where do children learn? Well, especially, they don't even have that in school anymore. Isn't that sad? But, but you know, uh, they don't learn it in there. That's where you learn to cook. And, and, and where, 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 where's it, where are they going to learn to build a family? In carpentry class, do they have those anymore? We used to have carpentry class. They used to teach men to be like men. Amen. Build stuff and do stuff. Carpentry class. But that's building a house. A house is not a home. Well, I know, I know where you learn how to have a happy home and build a happy family. In church. Are you serious? You give us one hour a week. They're in your home seven days a week, 49 hours, uh, average person, average kid a week is watching TV. By the time they're 21, 83% of their time has been spent directly under your influence. They're going to grow up to do one of three things. Number one, they'll grow up and repeat your mistakes for the blueprint that you gave them was the only thing they had to build by. They're going to repeat your mistakes, number two, or they're going to grow up resenting the memory of a home where holy wedlock became holy deadlock. And you say, well, at least we're still together. Well, you can take two cats and tie their tails together and hang them over a clothesline and they'll still be together, but the fellowship will be lousy. I don't recommend that. and Don't call PETA on me, okay? I'm just giving an illustration a mind picture so that you can see it. But I'm saying just because you're together and you're hanging in there and fighting all the time, that's not the environment that your children need. They're going to repeat your mistakes. They're going to grow up, secondly, uh, resenting the memories of a home where there was fussing and fighting or, or they're going to grow up to know the true meaning of love and respect and they're going to take it into their marriage. 
a home where Jesus sat at every meal and was honored before the food was taken in. A home where the Word of God was read and honored and talked about all week long. A home where Jesus' name was as familiar as the other people's name in the family and where that name was called on. What are you giving to your children? 21 years of influence that you personally have to shape their lives. And you can't just put a disclaimer on it and say, it's not my fault they didn't turn out right. Now, I know that's powerful and hard words. But on the other side of it, the counterbalance is, I want to say quickly, good fathers and good mothers sometimes have prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. Don't guilt trip if your kids get off course. The question is, and congratulations, you're in the house of God in a 9 o'clock morning service. This is how you do it. You bring them to the house of God. You honor God. You preach Jesus. You love them. You are the greatest priest and preacher in your children's life. Mom and dad, you are the one. And this is how you do it. And even when it doesn't feel like it's working, it's working. You raise them into tradition. If your kids still have to ask you, are we going to church today? That means you're not doing your job because they should know we we were dragged to church we didn't have any choice we there was never there was never a sunday that i woke up and said are we going today i was snatched up and taken to church i had a drug problem i was drugged to church drugged to youth service drug all my life those drugs got in me and i dwell in the house of the lord forever come on and shout amen the seed, the seed that you plant in youth will bring a harvest. They'll come back to the Father's table if you keep planting the seed. I'm not promising you they won't go off road for a while, but they'll come back every time if you raise them right. If you're in ministry, I say these words to you, never sacrifice your ministry for your church, for your family. Never, never, let me say it again. Never sacrifice your family for your ministry and for your church. Song of Solomon 1 and 5 is one that I try my best to remind myself of continually. They made me the keeper of their vineyard, but of my own vineyard I have not kept. What an indictment against those of us in ministry. Billy Graham was asked, what would you do over? He said, I would read my Bible more. I would pray more and worry less. And thirdly, I would spend more time with my family. We can sacrifice what's important for what's urgent. Urgent, 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 urgent. 25 years from now, what are you going to wish you would have done? Do it. Do it now. Today is the tomorrow you're, you were thinking about yesterday. The second thing you've got to give your family is not only love, but you've got to give them law. Everybody say law, L-A-W, law. Every parent needs to give their children law. Now, this is not popular, but it is scriptural. Your little darling needs some correction. Your little angel needs to be told, no, I will whip you if you disobey me. I know that's going to shock you. I know it's not popular. But that's scriptural. That's scriptural. Fasten your seatbelts. We're about to hit stormy weather. I can feel it coming. 
I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about out-of-control anger, outburst. I'm talking about loving discipline that this generation desperately needs. They need to know where the lines are, and if they cross the lines, there are consequences. Life is built on laws. If something goes up, it's the law of gravity. The highway has laws. If you break those laws consistently, they're going to catch you and you're going to pay for it. If you violate it, you pay for it. Concerning the law, the Bible says this. Let me give you Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Why? That it may be well with you and you may live long on earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. When it comes to the law of raising children and putting the law down, laying the law down, household rules, life rules, you've got to do two things. Number one, you've got to explain it. And number two, you've got to enforce it. It's got to be explained. It's got to be enforced. And the big word here is consistency. You can't smile at it and wink at it one day and slap them the next day. It doesn't work that way. I mean on the leg, not in the face. You, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't smile at something they're doing one day and joke about it. And the next day, because you're having a bad day, get all ticked off about it. Consistency. Explain it and enforce it. The Bible said, don't provoke your children to wrath. But we need to know, and children need to know, that 12 inches equals one foot, and it does not vary. And there are certain things if you do... Now, this is too old-fashioned, Preacher Franklin. No, it's not. This is what our generation needs. This is why you got kids that can sass a teacher. My mother was never on my side. If the teacher called, I was in trouble, period. I mean, I couldn't even hardly tell my story. And maybe she was wrong, but I turned out okay. Anyone who is too intellectual to discipline your children is smarter than God. Because Hebrews 12 and verse 6 says, Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And if, you, if He does not discipline you, you are not His child. The Bible uses an off-term word. You are a bastard. According to Hebrews, if God doesn't chasten you. Franklin translation, Whom the Lord loveth, He whippeth. Another way of looking at it, whom the Lord loveth, he beateth the hell out of. Come on, give me an amen. I mean, every time I try to do something, other people get by with it, but my father won't let me get by with it. And aren't you glad you got a heavenly father? We need some earthly parents who will say, I love you enough to not let you do what will ultimately destroy you. I love you that much. Proverbs said, chasten your son while there is hope. That means whip him. Spare not for his crying. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction driveth it far from him. Again, not abuse, not, not beating out of anger. 
Just a, just a little tap, tap, tap. It's amazing what it'll do. Billy Graham said his mother had a large belt hanging on the wall and over it, the, the words of the old famous hymn, I need thee every hour. That's Billy Graham. Withhold not correction from a child, for if thou, if thou whippeth him, it, it, he shall not die. He'll act like, ah, but, but he shall not die. Isn't that amazing? My mother had the gift of laying on of hands. And she exercised her gift. If you're watching it right now, I am, you warped my life because you, I'm a preacher because you kept whipping me. But my mother exercised her gift. And I, I'll never forget one time, this is a true story. They tell me this happened. My parents remind me of it. But I was, I was uh, cutting up in church and just restless and just moving. My mother, I don't know, it's just one of those days. And she just had all, she, she told me and warned me, behave. This is before they had nice children's churches and all that. We used to actually have to come into the state penitentiary of service and, and sit through an hour-long adult service. They didn't have no puppet stuff for children. None of that. None of it. It's not right. Your kids are spoiled rotten. You see them up here, they're beautiful. Now, thank God for it. I'm all for it. But, but, but it used to be like the great tribulation. Every Sunday, I got to go sit through Jesus. And my little, you know, boy, ADD, I, I need something. Especially when the preaching came. The music was okay in a Pentecostal church. People would run and stuff. So it's pretty exciting. And, and you know, but, but when the preaching started, everybody calmed down. And so I would get restless and she wouldn't let me because I had to reverence God. She wouldn't let me play with my G.I. Joes and stuff. I wanted to, but she wouldn't let me. And so one Sunday she grabbed me up. And she, and you know, it was just 120 people in the church in North, grabbed me up. She said always on the second row, grabbed me up by my nap of my neck like this. Said, I think the devil's got a hold of you. I looked up, but they swear I said this. I said, I think he has too. She dragged me down that aisle and they said, I said, pray saints, pray. Somebody needs to pray. I don't know. That's what they said. But I thank God for a mother that would discipline me. Teach me how to reverence God's house. Teach me that I don't sit up and throw my feet up on the chairs in church. And even when you come in God's house, there ought to be a reverence about it. You don't stick the gum up under the seat. This is God's house. Turn to somebody and say, he's really old school. Just, <laughs> I can see it on your face whether you say it or not. There was a, there was a, y'all remember Kmart? You remember those little, y'all remember those little horses they used to have outside of Kmart that you put a quarter in? You know what I'm talking about? And it, and it would rot. It was amazing. That was the greatest. Well, there was a mother who, who took her child to Kmart and the little six-year-old fella saw the horse and he really wanted to ride it and his mother was glad for him to ride it. She put the quarter in and when it stopped, he, he just got all upset she quickly put another quarter and finally she ran out of quarters and I'm telling you when that kid realized that she didn't have any more quarters and that horse had stopped rocking he started screaming to the top of his voice turned pale he was a little actor and he knew he had an audience and he screamed like bloody murder he hit notes that Pavarotti never hit before in your life he he's screaming and 
throwing a tantrum, having a fit. She's begging him, please, sweetie pie, please, please, please stop. We got to go. We got to go. He's holding on for dear life, won't budge, screaming. She's panicking. She doesn't know. He's turning purple in the face. People are gathering all around watching this spectacle. She runs into the store, gets the manager and says, you've got to help me. My child is out of control. And, and he said, well, I don't really know what to do, but there's a psychiatrist that's right next to us. Let's go get him and they get the psychiatrist and bring him and, 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 and she, she says please help us and he walked up and he whispered something in the child's ear and instantly the, the, the waterworks stopped the acting stopped he instantly without a, a, a second wasted jumped off the horse reached up grabbed his mother's hand and turned back and looked back at that man and just kept walking <laughs> and she stopped and she said wait a minute I've got to know what you said. He said, oh, it wasn't important. Oh, no, I, you don't understand. I go through this ritual every day of my life multiple times. What did you say? He said, I just told that child that I'm going to count to three, and if he doesn't get down off this horse, I'm going to give him a whipping like he wouldn't believe. If you indulge your kids and you don't give them law, you tell them they don't have to answer to anybody for anything. Can you imagine when they grow up and it's just uh, a man in a little boy's body, or a little boy in a man's body, and now the police pull him over, or let's say he, he decides to buy a car and he gets the car and goes home and just lays around, doesn't get a job because mama said he doesn't have to and he just relaxes all day and plays games. And Finally, after several delinquent payments, the repo man comes and knocks on the door and he says, I'm here to repossess the car that you didn't pay payments on. And the boy throws a fit and he falls into the floor. He says, oh, this is a drag. Parents and adults aren't fair. You, this is not right. Don't, you're not treating me right. I shouldn't lose my car. This, and do you think that the bank manager over that case is going to call him up and say, you know what, you're right. And all I need you to do is pay a payment just a few every once in a while between, between retirement and the new Jerusalem. Just send in a few just send in a few payments, just as you feel it, just as you would like to, but keep the car. How many of you know the bank manager is not going to do that? That's all I'm saying. You set your kids up for failure. You shirk the responsibility. And I, I'm just trying to tell you, you can't always be your, your kid's best friend. You can't always be their buddy. You can't always... For the sake of peace and everybody getting along, sometimes you have to say, no, you will not go there. No, you will not be with that person. No, I will not allow this. Well, what if they say they'll run away? They'll come back. I'm just telling you, there have been times where you have to stand your ground and lay down the law. And if it all goes, if I'm standing for principle and what's right, God will back it up and God will help you in that situation. But God help you if you cave in and give every time on what real truth is. I'm almost done. Y'all breathe. Y'all act like you're... you're it's, it's getting hot in here. And I'm not going to take my clothes off, but it's getting hot in here. Amen. Every parent 
stands in the place of God for their child. God is a disciplinarian. But God doesn't threat and never back it up and follow through. And if you threat and don't back it up, back it up and follow through, you're teaching them that they can do the same thing with sin in God. Thirdly, and I've got three minutes to finish this sermon, so I'm going to speed through it. But the third building material you need to give your family is light. Light. What I'm saying to you is Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. The picture in mind is a Hebrew mother taking olive oil and touching with the olive oil with her finger in the inside mouth of a suckling baby and it gets a taste and once it gets a taste it it's never satisfied until it it has that taste again and that's what he's saying about the word of God and about God's house is you expose them to the word and to God and to faith and even if they grow up I'm not promising you they won't ever visit the wilderness of rebellion I'm not promising you they won't drink from the polluted streams of sin but when it's all said and done they will not depart from it I'm not promising you that when they go off to college that they might get off and somebody might fill their head with thoughts of atheism or some other religion Buddhism or something else that brings their zen and bring but I'm telling you that if you while you have them in your control get the light of God's word his word is a light unto my feet and a light lamp into my pathway if you get it in them if you get it in them they will not be able the older they get the smarter they'll get and they'll be back shout they'll be back shout they'll be back Somebody praise God that they'll be back every time, every time, every time. I'm saying to you in closing, and I'm going to call for the musicians in just a moment. But there is, there's the law, there's love, there's light. Give them the light of God's word. Give them the truth of God's word. Teach it to them. And don't just let a preacher preach to them. Tell them your stories. Tell them how you didn't have any money and God provided. Tell them how when you got out of school, you didn't know what you were going to do. And God blessed. Tell them how he made a way. Tell them how you ended up in Southern California. Tell them how nobody else in your family loved God, but you guys started coming to free chapel and you got your marriage together and got your family together. Tell them how that maybe dad wasn't there, but God was there. And as a single mother, I raised you and I worked two jobs. And I, tell them, the, and it was God that held me together. Tell them those stories. You're giving light. And I'm telling you, you're putting that on the, in their taste buds and they may get off, but there's something in them that when trouble comes, they'll know who to turn to. They'll know. And lastly, give them a life. Your own personal life is the greatest witness to your family. There was a prominent lawyer in the Northeast who had a drinking problem. Every morning before he went to a successful law office in Chicago, he would, uh, he would get up and he would walk to the neighborhood bar that was just down the road and he would get a drink. He called it one for the road before he would go to work. One day as it was lightly snowing, 
he left the house and walked toward that neighborhood bar and his office was just down the road and as he was walking he heard something behind him and he turned around and he saw his little six-year-old son his six-year-old son had left the house secretly following him and as he was stepping into the lightly fresh fallen snow the father's footsteps were in that fresh snow and the son was taking his little feet and putting his little feet in the father's feet footprint and he was suddenly as he stood before the bar and he realized that his footsteps were leading that child down the same path that his life had taken him, that his father's footsteps had taken him. He was smitten with conviction. He ran and scooped that little boy up and ran home and put him into the arms of his mother and told her the story. And he went, ran down to the basement and began to weep before God and cry. And he said, God, I beg you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to help me. And by your grace... My footsteps will not lead my boy to a bar, but my footsteps will lead my boy to you. And I want to ask every parent this question. Where are your footprints leading your children? Are you leading them by example to God, to His Word, to His house? to His kingdom, to heaven. If they follow your footsteps, will it take them not in a walk of perfection, but in a walk moving in the right direction? Walking by faith and leading them to Him. It is the greatest, listen to me, you and your wife or whoever you created that life with that is called your child when you came together as man and woman created something listen you may have never thought about it before something eternal everything else in your life will pass away but when you created a child you created something eternal that will never die when this life is over they will go into eternity and the Bible said it's heaven or hell. It's life or death. And in most cases, our footprints as parents can be the most important factor in what direction those children go. I want my footprints to lead them to Jesus, to lead them to heaven. Would you stand with me all over this room, please? I want you to stand all over this room. And I want to ask every mother in this room today in conclusion. I want you to get out of your seat and come stand down here in this altar because I know the power of motherhood. I know the power of a praying mother. We love you. We honor you. We celebrate you. Can we just do that right now, by the way? Can we just let these amazing women know how much... We honor and appreciate them. I want you to come and stand. Sharice will be in the next service. But we stand together with you. I don't know how you do what you do. 
I, I, I see firsthand through my wife the remarkable giftings that a, that, a, that a mother has. You have intuition that we just don't have. Men just do not get it. We don't see it. We don't sense it. You can know something's not right. You have x-ray vision in another room. And something will say to you, something's not right. And you're right. And we, we're, we just go right on. That's the intuition of a woman that God has given you to bear your children on your heart. And your prayers and your influence is astounding and remarkable. I don't want anybody to hear this message today and feel guilt if you haven't measured up. None of us measure up in, in all these areas. But if we're moving, if our footprints are moving in the right direction, direction is more important than where you are right now. If you're moving in the right direction, that's all that matters. God's grace will get involved in the rest. But give your family to God this morning. Give that little baby. Talk Jesus to them. Don't just hold them and don't just let them hear it in church. But you've got to be the influence of this book and this Bible and this Jesus in their life as you speak it over them. How many of you fathers, how many fathers do I have out there? Let me see your hand. Will you raise both hands toward heaven and will you stretch those hands toward these precious women? Women of God, would you just raise your hands and let me speak a word, a blessing over you? And listen, maybe you're here today and while I've been preaching as a parent, you feel like I need to get right with God. My, foots, my footprints are leading my children in the wrong direction. Everybody, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do it today. Everybody pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, cleanse me. Forgive me. I turn to you with all of my heart. I want to be what you've called me to be. And today, I move in your direction. I take a step of faith. And I'm not only leading myself to you, but I'm leading my family by my example, by my life. I'm leading them in your direction. I receive your help. I receive your anointing. I receive your gifting. I thank you that I can do this. That I will be a wonderful parent because God is anointing me to be it. The past is over. It's a brand new day. And I thank you. I will raise champions for Jesus Christ. Now lift those hands and praise Him for your family and thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.